Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. This week, that's kind of a segueing into week three. Week three is breaking brokenness. Now, I understand, I'll preface everything I'm going to say tonight, that there is a certain type of brokenness before the Lord. That's not the type of brokenness that we're talking about, because the type of brokenness that we're talking, that, that, that refers to being broken before the Lord is not broke down, right? There's a difference between broken and being broke down. Being broken before the Lord is like a broken horse. A broken horse is not a broke down horse. A broke down horse is of no good to anybody. It's a broken horse is, is controlled power. It's one that's obedience to its reins, to its masters, uh, and, and, who, and, and the rider, the, the horse is obedient. It's still got all of its strength. It's still got all of its sense. It's still got every, all of its knowledge, uh, but it's just waiting on the command of the one that's riding it, right? That's a broken horse. It's not a broke down horse. But we're talking about a different kind of brokenness. We're talking about being uh, things in life breaking us, breaking us down. And so there are different types of brokenness. You can be broken in spirit, and I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, you know, you ever seen somebody whose spirit is broken? You ever seen a child who has been berated their whole life or been talked talk down to their whole life? And you can just tell their spirit is broken. They don't, have any, um, they don't have any passion in their life because they, they've been shot down so many times that, that they don't know where to go from there or, or someone who has just been uh, in a place so many times that they've lost their hope, they're, they're broken in spirit. People can be heartbroken, you know, whether that is, you know, finding out that, that their, their, their spouse uh, cheated on them or uh, that they, they've lost someone the, uh, um, to a death or a sickness or something like that. You can be heartbroken. You can be broken in your physical body. You can have uh, physical ailments that just have left you broken, uh, and then you can obviously be financially broken, right? And all of these different types of brokenness, um, when we find ourselves in those places, we can tend to get serious, uh, seriously theological trying to determine why this is happening to me. If you've ever been sick or if you've ever lost someone or if you've ever had uh, things break you in life, and when I mean we get seriously theological, it doesn't necessarily mean that we get in the Bible and we begin to trust and rely on the word of God. We begin to, with our mind, figure out why we're in this circumstance and who we're supposed to blame and why did this happen to me, right? I'll tell you just uh, you know something silly as when I was a kid, um, and I wasn't acting right. I was a teenager and, I, and you know, just not living right. And I knew I wasn't living right. And I was in that stage where I had gotten saved and I had, had begun to serve God. But, but then I was, I was still trying to, to step out and do the things that I was doing before I got saved. And the conviction was coming on me. And when conviction came on me, then the enemy came and brought guilt and shame and condemnation. And then when things would happen that were adverse to me, I would begin to think... I would begin to make up a theology that God was doing this to me because I wasn't acting right. Anybody ever done that? God must be doing this to me. That is a, that is a doctrine, that is a, a theological thing that has happened to us because we think and we've been told, and even the insurance company 
has adopted this theology because when hurricanes come or lightning strikes something, what do they label that? They label that an act of God, right? And so God must be out there frying my television because I wasn't acting right, right? Or the bolt of lightning or, or he, he must be tearing down my beach house or he, he must be, you know, running trees through my house because uh, of some reason or different things like that. We begin to, to make these theological statements about stuff. Now, while God is very capable of performing any and all of these things because he's God and everything is possible for him, I'll make this bold statement, but he is never in the business of destruction. Has he destroyed things? Absolutely. We have his word to, to confirm that he has destroyed before. But he's not in the business of destruction. He's in the business of resurrection. He's in the business of rescuing. He's in the business of reconciliation. He's in the business of recreation. For if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and everything's become new. We can look at God and his whole, um, his, his whole desire, his whole motive for us is not destruction, but recreation. Amen? Let's go to... Um, John, the ninth chapter. We have to break the idea that God is creating brokenness in our lives. And this is where I want to get to. We have to break the idea that God is creating brokenness in our lives to teach us a lesson or to get our attention or to get himself glory. John, the ninth chapter. And this, this chapter is going to seem counterproductive to my message. But I promise you, we're going to see some stuff in here. I believe that God will use your brokenness for glory. But he himself will not create brokenness in your life to achieve glory. Can I say that again? God will use your broken state for glory, for his glory. But he himself will never create that brokenness in your life to achieve glory. John 9, 1 through 7, this is about the man who was born blind and receives his sight. In verse 1 it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So Jesus is walking by and he sees a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this one was born blind? That's an odd question. I, I've never seen a blind person and thought, I wonder who sinned, him or his parents. I've never thought that before. But his disciples were asking this question because it was, it was kind of theological. It was, you know, I, I wonder, you know, he's the one that knows things. And, and so he's blind. So we know that he's been blind from birth because he's been here. Uh, you know, we, we've seen him our whole life here. And so we're, we're, we're curious. Who's, who's, who was the one who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made a clay with his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of, of Salome, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, when you read that, you go, oh, okay, so he, what Jesus was saying is that God created him blind so that eventually God could get glory for his healing. And a lot of people believe that. God didn't create this child blind. But since being born into an imperfect world that has been perverted with sin and genetic defects, he was born blind. And since he was born blind, now his blindness can be healed and bring glory to God. Amen? If God created him blind, I want you to think about this. When, when, when we think about these and this is all about breaking these doctrines in us because what can it do to us? Uh, this, this can be, you can leave here thinking, oh, well, that was some interesting facts. Or you can begin to use this to break down some theological doctrinal things that hinder us from receiving the goodness of God. Because if we think in our head that my child was born this way or that this person uh, has this going on in their life or that happened because God wanted that to happen. Even if we go to the positive and say God wanted that to happen, happen so that he could get glory or so that he could do this or so that he could do that, then we're still ultimately saying that God is a destroyer, that God is someone who, who maims people, that God is, is someone who brings this into our life so that he can get glory. That would be like you as a parent creating a problem for your child so that you could show up and show them how good you are at solving problems. That's ludicrous. How many of you, if you were a, you know, if, if you were a surgeon, would, would cut off one of your child's limbs to prove to them that you could sew it back? No one. But that's what we say about God when we say, well, I guess God did that to get some glory. No, things happen to us because we live in this fallen world. We're born certain ways. God didn't make us that way, but, but when we enter into this natural world, we're susceptible to some of the natural things that occur. But right here, this, this man was born blind, and Jesus is walking by, and his disciples say, who sinned, him or his parents? And he goes, wait a minute, nobody sinned. But right now, God's going to get some glory for healing him, because that's who God is. He's a healer. He's not the one who creates blind eyes, he's the one who opens blind eyes. Amen? So for God to create him blind, then he would have been, it would have been, let's just think about this. If God would have created this man blind, then it would have been the will of God for him to be blind. Right? Well, if that's the case, if it's God's will to be blind, and then Jesus healed his blindness, then in effect, Jesus would have been out of the will of God for Correcting something that God meant for his will. I'm being facetious. But that's the truth. I mean, if God says this is my will, that this man be blind. And then Jesus comes along and says, he's going to get glory, you're healed. Now, now Jesus has got to be out of the will of God for doing, undoing something that God did. I know that ties up your mind a little bit. 
I, I meant it to. Because that's how theological, um, anybody ever had something that you left alone out in the barn or something and you came back and rats got in the wires? You can't see it happening unless you get in there and you really start investigating. That's how theological untruths, they're small seemingly. You don't understand it's going on a lot of times when it's happening, but when they do their damage, stuff doesn't work right. And a lot of times these theological untruths, they get in there and they sound good because it tries to, it really, it's helping us to explain in our brain how a good God could allow someone to be born blind. Right? So the only explanation is, well, it was God's will for him to be born, born blind and he, he must have a greater purpose for this person to be blind. No, God doesn't create blind people. A fallen world does. God is the God who heals the blinded eyes. Amen? Is this okay? Go to Mark, the fourth chapter. I'll show you another little instance. Mark, the fourth chapter. Verse 35. You guys ought to be familiar with this one. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, and this is Jesus, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And another little boat were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. The insurance company would say this is an act of God. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, meaning Jesus. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So this wasn't a little storm. <clears throat> Matter of fact, if you dig down into the actual words of that, it was a great windstorm, like a tornado of sorts or a hurricane of sorts. It was not this little storm. It was a very, very big storm to the point where they were afraid that they were gonna die and they're waking him up and saying, how can you, basically, how can you be asleep right now? Don't you care? I'd do the same thing. If I've got Jesus in the boat, I'm not gonna rely on, on us. I'm like, we got Jesus in the boat. I've watched this guy heal blind eyes. I've watched this guy walk on water and I'm gonna go down there and say, don't you care that we're dying? You need to wake up and do something about this. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Stories like this, we've heard them so much, especially growing up in, you know, if you grew up in Sunday school or different things like that or going to preschool or going to, uh, um, you know, children's church, or different things like that. And we, we have these stories and they're great stories, but sometimes when, when they're told to us that way over and over, we take these stories and we put them in the nursery rhyme category of our brain. 
You need to take this out of that category and put it into realism. Even if you got to imagine yourself, if you were you know, on a great cruise ship or something, if you've ever been in the ocean, if you've ever been on Toledo Bend in a storm. I've been on Toledo Bend when the wind was, was gusting up and I was in a little bitty boat and I wished I wasn't. I was praying that I would get back to the shore because the waves can get really big on Toledo Bend for a John boat. So it's not fun when you get in that and you do begin to panic. Put yourself in the category of these guys and, and as I said, I've been in, in, in little storms that made me panic. And I did not stand up in the boat and call the wind and the waves to calm down. <laughs> I rode faster. I started the motor and I went and I tried to drive with the waves so I didn't capsize. I did all the natural things, right? But the point that I want to bring about in this story is most people would say that every storm Every hurricane, every tornado, every thing that happens like this, every natural disaster, they would say like the insurance, well, it's an act of God. Well, I guess God did that. Well, I guess, you know, back in the day, um, you know, uh, when Katrina hit New Orleans, there were Christians that would stand up and say, well, God was judging New Orleans. And I would say that he did a terrible job <laughs> because they're back at it. And they will be until the coming of the Lord. <laughs> There'll be somebody in New Orleans on Bourbon Street doing their thing, right? God didn't judge New Orleans. It was a hurricane because we live in a world. I want you to surmise this. Hurricanes and tornadoes and weather activity didn't even exist until Noah's day. There was never even rain until Noah's day. The Bible clearly states that the people of Noah's day didn't even know what rain was when God was telling Noah that there was going to be a great flood. He had no idea what it, was, what it even was. He said, well, it had to rain because they had trees and stuff. No, they said everything was watered from a mist that came up from the ground. It never rained. So therefore, where there's, where there's no rain and there's no need for all of that, there's no clouds or, you know, as far as rain clouds, I'm sure there was clouds to keep shade. But if anybody's ever taken any kind of a science class, you know that clouds are not just there for decoration, but it's a process of the way the water cycle works. So storms and all that such came about because of the fall. It didn't come about because God said, you know, every once in a while I need to shake things up and bring a little lightning and bring a little, bring a little wind and, 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 you know, teach some people some lessons. But people will say, well, you know, um, you know, I guess God just, just needed that, uh, that to happen or this to happen. But if God sent that storm and then Jesus rebuked that storm, then Jesus would have been out of the will of God rebuking something that God said to happen. Right? I want you to break that bad theology in your heart that God does all these things that cause brokenness in our lives for some spiritual reason or to punish or to teach us a lesson and recognize that he is a God that is good. And he is a restoring God, a recreating God, a God of newness, a God of health, a God of prosperity, a God of salvation. And I'm gonna give you several scriptures here and then we're gonna be done, but I, wanna, I just wanna you know, take these scriptures. I don't want to go too fast on them. 
I want to just sit here and meditate on these scriptures, but Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Now, this is Old Testament God, right? This is Old Testament God who did send a flood. This is Old Testament God. He's still the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the great thing about living today is that we live in a dispensation of grace that they did not live in in the Old Testament because Jesus had not yet come and died for us. So we live in this dispensation of grace where God is giving us grace and he is giving us mercy. So there's a time there where we can get saved and receive his son before he comes back and he returns back to being that vengeful God that he was and taking out all of his wrath not on people, he wasn't, he wasn't going to do it on people. Now people, if they remain here because of their own decisions, that's on them, but he doesn't want to take out wrath on people. He's taking out wrath on Satan and the angels that fell with Satan. That's what the wrath is for. It's not for the earth and it's not for people, but unfortunately when they don't receive God, it will be taken out on, on people who don't. But that was still, New Te Old Testament God said, right here in Exodus said, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in kindness and truth. 1 Chronicles 16, 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Now here's the thing. I'm gonna, we got some more, but here, here, here's where I want to pause here. This world has got an effect, even on, on the best of believers, that when things are not going your way, that you begin to question God's goodness. Now, you probably wouldn't question his goodness out loud, but you question his goodness in your heart when, when, when brokenness comes into your life, when, when health problems come into your life, when, when, when people pass away that you love or, or when uh, financial brokenness comes your way or just things aren't working out for you, you begin to question. And, and sometimes we don't question it in the way where we say, well, I just, I just hate God because he's been bothered. We don't do that. We know better than to do that. But we start making these theologies up. We start making these doctrines up that try to excuse away why it's happening to us because we know we're good Christian people. We know we're tithers. We know we're givers. We know we, we pray. And how can this be happening to us? God must have a reason. He must want some kind of glory out of this. No, no, no. Reject all of those things and understand and know that you are a person that is living in a fallen world. And if you're a person living in a fallen world, you are susceptible to attacks, but you don't have to take those attacks. You can begin to focus on how good God is and begin to magnify and glorify God, just as Paul and Silas did. Paul and Silas found themselves, they're preaching the gospel and they find themselves beaten in prison. Now, if there's any two people that God should have stepped down out of heaven and said, no, you can't touch those guys because they're preaching my gospel, they're getting people saved all over the place, but yet they're beaten and thrown in prison. Well, it must have been God's will to teach Paul a lesson. No, they're living in a world that hates the gospel. They're living in a world that hates Jesus, that hates God. And so when they came in his name, they beat them and they put them in prison. But instead of dwelling on that and saying, I guess God wants us here, instead of doing that, they began to sing praises to God at midnight and the Bible says the whole place was shaken and chains fell off of them and they were delivered. Now, I'm thoroughly convinced if they had not begun to praise God for his goodness and his mercy and his grace, they would have died in that prison. And that's what happens to us a lot of times. We, maybe not physically, but we spiritually die in the prisons of our brokenness 
because we don't know how to get up and begin to praise God for his goodness because this world has begun to convince us and the enemy convinces us and our circumstance convinces us that maybe God's just mad at me or I haven't been doing right lately. Or maybe he's just, I don't know. I don't, it seems like God's, why would God do this to me? God hasn't done anything to you but been good to you. Amen. Mark 10, 18, it says, no one is good but one, and that is God. You remember what John the Baptist said? John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He's the one preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. He's the one baptizing. I mean, he is, he is the rock star of modern Christianity before Jesus steps on the scene. And then Jesus steps on the scene, and John makes some people mad, and he finds himself in prison. John didn't do, and I'm not berating John. I mean, we'd all be... I think, blessed to be as faithful as John was. But in that moment of weakness, he questioned whether Jesus was the one or not. And he sent one of his disciples to go ask if he really was the one that he was supposed to have baptized and prepared the way for. And Jesus just sends word back and say, you tell him the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, people are being healed and delivered and blessed. But John lost his head. He was beheaded. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good God. Seems like God was just kind of done with John, and so he got rid of him. No, that's not how God works. That's how the enemy works. That's how the enemy wants you to see that. John, John's life was extinguished because he stood up in a world that hates the gospel. And there's no, there's no real guarantee in the word of God in the way of us not being susceptible to the same thing if we stand up for the gospel in the world. Actually, it goes the other way. It says, if they killed the Lord of glory, what makes you think that they won't kill you too if you stand up? And I like that illustration I, I, I used the other day about the, uh, I don't know if you guys remember it, but it was about the, uh, the different branches of the military that came to the school and they were, um, you know, giving their spill. And so the Army got up and the Navy got up and the Air Force got up. And by the time the Marine guy got up, of course, all the other branches were just selling them on all the goodness. Oh, go to the Navy. We'll take you all over the world on the government's dime. Go to the Army. We'll pay for your school and this, that, and the other. Go, go to the uh, Air Force. I mean, we, don't, we, just, we got desk jobs and it's, it, you know, this, that, and the other. It's, it's great. And they... Uh, got to the Marine guy, and um, he, uh, he didn't have any time left. And he got up and he said, well, the other guys took up my time, but I only need about two minutes to say what I gotta say. And he said, and that is, there's probably only about two of y'all in this whole assembly that's got what it takes to be a Marine. And if you feel like you're one of the two, come see me. And they said the Marine line was as long as anything out there. Why? Because the gospel is not about, it, it's, it, God is good. 
But it's not about the fact that we're gonna escape hardships. It's about what are we gonna do and who are we gonna trust in when we get into them. Amen? And then I'm not gonna justify and I'm not gonna take a circumstance and I'm not gonna formulate some type of a doctrine around my circumstance. People have done that for years and years and years. They've, they've had something happen to them or had something happen to somebody that they love that they know loved God and served God. I've heard people say it over and over. Well, my, my grandmother or my mama or my daddy or whatever, they were the most godly person I know and this happened to them and that happened to them. I, I'm, I remember a, a guy told me one time that, um, you know, that, that he believed that, that the more you suffered, it was because you were more spiritual if you suffered more. That's a doctrine that people come up with because good people are suffering. Well, that's not, and that's not in here. God is good. Yes, we're gonna experience hardships because of the world we live in, but the, the greatest thing about that is we serve a God that can deliver us from all of that and does deliver us from all of that. Amen? James 1.17, every Good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. These are the type of scriptures you have to feed yourself on because if you don't feed yourself on these scriptures, then when you get in times like that, you are going to begin to be subjected to those thoughts and those feelings and, and begin to make up these little doctrines that'll just eat away at the goodness of God in you. And you say, when something bad happens, say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him, comes down from the Father of lights, who there's no variation or shadow of turning. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then, he, he directly compares it to us as parents. If you then know how to give, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart. That's a form of brokenness. I would have been broken. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's not saying that I'm believing that I'm only gonna see the goodness of God in glory. He said, I would have lost heart. I would have been broken to the point of no longer serving God if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, there's something that I've, you know, I've been noticing when I'm standing in faith for something. And that is, when I was younger, I would pray the prayer of faith for something, whether it be financial or health or uh, whatever, something to work out in my favor. And then I would begin to look to see where it was gonna come from, who it was gonna come from, how it was gonna happen. I'd begin to imagine how it was gonna happen, who was gonna do it, who was gonna say it. I'd begin to do all those things. And you know, it never happened the way I imagined it. Never happened the way I thought it would. So as I've gotten older, instead of fixing it, fixating on how it was gonna happen, I'm leaving that up to God. And I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not concerned. It's not my concern as to how, where, when. 
It's my responsibility, it's my concern to believe that he's good and that it's a promise for me and that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I won't lose heart because I know that faith is believing for those things that aren't as though they were, speaking those things that aren't as though they were. Well, how's it gonna happen? I'm not concerned about how it's gonna happen. Who's gonna do it? I'm not concerned about who's gonna do it. All I'm concerned about is that it's a promise from God. I believe in the goodness of God, and I'm gonna speak of that goodness of God, and I'm gonna let him do what he does, and I'm gonna do what he asked me to do. Amen? Amen? Psalm 145, uh, 5 through 7. Psalm 145, 5 through 7. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Think about this. I will meditate, not on the issue, not on the problem. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. And I believe that men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. Not my doubt. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I guess he would. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to declare your greatness. How God's going to do it? Because he's great. Because he's mighty. Because he's awesome. You know, I remember as a young Christian coming into it, that's all Christians used to say. That's all you heard people say was how great and mighty and awesome God is. You know what I hear a lot of now? I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'll tell you what, he needs to do something in this world. He's still great. He's, still, he's as great as he's ever been. He's as mighty as he's ever been. He's as awesome as he's ever been. His people just aren't believing it right now. We've got to get back to where we're beginning to declare the greatness of our God. Amen? How mighty he is, how big he is. It says, I'll meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on, the one, on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of your might and your awesome acts, and I'll declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Don't you let the devil or anyone else tell you that what has happened to you or what may be happening to you right now is God testing you, is God punishing you, or God crushing you to create glory for himself. Recognize that God is good, and if you're broken in an area, it's not his will for you to be in that condition, and he wants to heal your brokenness, and then that will bring him glory. That will bring him glory. It brings him glory to see you whole, not broken. Amen? Think about when, you, when we say bring him glory. Does it bring you glory to see your children hurting? When you see, and it didn't matter if it's their fault or not. Do you glory in their failures? Do you glory in their sicknesses? Do you glory? No, no, no. Nobody here does. You want to see a mama, especially, be upset and have something wrong? Have something be going on wrong with her children. Whether it be sickness, whether it be trouble, whether it be sadness and depression, 
You, you watch a parent that really loves their child. It doesn't bring them glory for their children to be that way. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. It does not bring him glory to, for you to have brokenness in your life. But if you have brokenness in your life, he is able to deliver you from that brokenness and then that brings him glory when you're whole. Amen? Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We have to get free from a broke down gospel. And I know I'm preaching to the choir in this place. But there is a broke down gospel. There is a woe is me gospel. But it's not his gospel. The gospel is what it says. It means good news. <laughs> and I don't know how broke down is good news. Well, I'll tell you what, you serve God and you'll just be broke down. Glory to God. No, no, no. It's not a broke down gospel. It's a good news gospel. Amen. The good news is, is that Jesus came to heal, to save, to deliver. Amen. To, to open up blinded eyes. Third John 2. I got this scripture and one more. And you guys ought to know this one. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Now, I know John wrote that. But no word was written out of the, in, in the word of God that wasn't God's word. And if John wrote that, it was because God wanted him to write that because he wanted you to know his motive towards you, that he wants above all things that you prosper and that you're in health as your soul prospers. You say, well, I'm just waiting on that. So is he. He's waiting on you to receive that. Well, anytime, Lord. No, no, he's ready for you to walk in it. He's ready for you to begin to say that even when it's not physically happening. He's ready for you to begin to call that into existence in your life before you even see it. That's what faith is. Faith is calling those things that aren't as though they were. That's not, that's not something I made up. That's something the word of God says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What do we have faith in? Well, I just have faith to have a million oil wells, or I just have faith to have this. I have... No, no, no. You have faith that you have what God says you can have, and that might produce a million oil wells, or that might produce this, or that might produce that. It's not for us to decide what it produces. It's for us to decide that we're going to have what God says we can have, and then when we do that, he makes our path straight, and he leads us and guides us into the truths that he would have us to have in life. Don't get the cart before the horse. We taught faith as a, as a means to obtain material things. Faith is a way to speak the word of God in your life that will produce material needs and desires. But it doesn't come the other way around. Amen? Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know, this is the Amplified, and we know with great confidence that God who is deeply concerned about us. You need to hear that for yourself. Not, not that I'm reading that for someone else. You need to take that personally. You have to know with great confidence that God is deeply concerned about you. Do you ever go through life not, wondering, not knowing if God, or you might not verbalize that, but in your heart you feel like, I don't know if God's really deeply concerned about me or not. I don't know if he sees me or not. I don't know if he cares about this or not. But we have the word of God that tells us otherwise. We know with great confidence that God is deeply concerned about us and he causes all things to work together as a plan for good to those who love God. 
to those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. You say, well, I don't know if I'm called according to his plan or purpose. If you're saved, you're called. If you're saved, you're called. You have a plan. God has a purpose for you. And if God has a plan and a purpose for you and you love him, then he's got that plan is good things, everything working out good for you. Amen? Don't get into a place in your brokenness where you start believing that this is somehow God's plan for you and start making up doctrines to fit your circumstances. Feed yourself on the word of God and grow your faith on the character of God's goodness and begin to proclaim his goodness in your circumstance and break your brokenness. Amen? Is that good? Did you get anything out of that? I did. I was excited. I, I, was, ready to, I was ready to preach that. I'm gonna feed on those scriptures and uh, I always feel like I have a pretty... Um, a pretty sunny outlook, but it's not just about being happy. Uh, it's about understanding where that happiness and that joy and that confidence comes from. And it comes from the word and it comes from understanding and knowing the way God views you and how God, uh, want what God wants for you and not allowing your circumstances to speak to you louder than God. And that's how you break brokenness in your life. And it doesn't matter where it is. You might look at your life and say, well, you know, I've got some broken areas in my life, but it's probably not as bad as so-and-so and so-and-so. It doesn't matter. This is not a competition. If you've got brokenness anywhere in your life, whether it be relationally, whether it be physically, whether it be health-wise, whether it be uh, emotionally or spiritually or financially, God is concerned with great, with great confidence. You can know that God is deeply concerned about that brokenness in your life, and he wants you to be broken from that. Amen? I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.